Welcome to Mindful Meeting Podcast, a weekly podcast where minds meet to empower and mold the complete family. Every week, we share stories with you focused on our spiritual, financial, physical, mental, and emotional well-being and growth. And now, from the University of, well, nowhere, an expert in nothing really, but Somali tea is his specialty. Please welcome your host, King Abu. Hello and welcome to episode number six of Mindful Meeting Podcast. I'm your host, King Abu. <clears throat> this episode is special today because we are recording today from my mom's home state in Columbus, Ohio. I'm not sure what the title of this episode will be, but we'll figure it out. Um, now, before we introduce our topic and our special guest, I would first like to answer two questions that some people have asked and uh, wanted to get some explanation on a couple of things. So here we go. So a lot of people asked me, why do I do this podcast? So the reason why I do it is because I think Allah has blessed me with the gift of talking and knowing how to articulate things. and. Uh, inspire people but i have to learn that i have to inspire and motivate myself before i could do that um i love a quote that maya angela i think she said that when you get give and when you learn teach right so i'm hoping that that's what this platform will do for me and for all of our listeners inshallah and that's why i bring our guests to the show for that purpose I've always, um, even in my Somali culture, when you have a special occasion, we always go to the elders in the family. And in this case would be grandma or grandpa, right? And I'm always the one asking my grandfather or my uncles questions about religion, about life, sports, women, whatever the topic may be. And some of my cousins, I've noticed they would have the same question, but they didn't want to ask out of shyness or fear. Or whatever. So I noticed that I love to ask people questions and interview them. And so in a nutshell, that's one of the reasons why I do this podcast. So the second question is, um, why have you only invited therapists to the show for season two? That's not entirely true. First of all, um, the first guest was Pastor Mike. But um, after him, it has only been therapists. And there's a reason for that. But don't worry, that's not the only people, inshallah, that will bring on the show. So the reason is, um, I think my journey started, um, my growth and discovering who I am and what Allah has expected from me when I got the divorce back in 2016. I think that's when I, my growth began. And more so last year. Um, I'll briefly tell you what happened last year, and then you'll understand why I like to associate with therapists and I'd like to talk to them and benefit from them. So last year, I met a woman who I thought at the time was the most amazing woman ever. And uh, we started talking. We were in a relationship for maybe like three, four months or something like that. And uh, prior to that, I've never felt what being in love meant or felt until I met her. So we got to know each other and everything. And we were talking about marriage and all these things. And you know, our families got to know each other. She introduced me to her mom, her sister, her two kids, and stand for me. 
So we're making progress. But then it didn't work out. The reasons are irrelevant, but it took me to a dark space and uh, I was heartbroken and depressed and all that. So exactly one year ago, this Eid that's about to come in a couple of days, Eid al-Adha, I remember three nights before Eid al-Adha, I, um, it was like 2.33 o'clock at night. I was in Sujood praying to Allah, just crying and begging him to, to turn her back to me because I wanted her. She was a marvelous mom. And that was one of the biggest things that spoke to me about her that I really admired about her and vice versa with her. Uh, being a good dad is something that spoke to her about me. And obviously the cherry on top, I guess you could say, was that she was a Desi woman. And all my friends and family will tell you my obsession with Desi woman. So anyway, I thought she was really good, right? So it took me to a dark space and I was just dark space and I was hella depressed. And I didn't know what to do. So I was crying and asking Allah to bring her back to me. But Allah has a different plan, right? And uh, as I was crying and sobbing and begging him, I heard a voice that said, Abdul Mahdi, ask from Allah what you ask of this woman for yourself. And I didn't know at the time what it meant. Um, I didn't even know who was talking to me. I was like, who said that? What, what, what happened? And then the voice repeated again, the same thing. Abdul Mahdi asked from Allah, what you ask of this woman for yourself? I still didn't get it. And then repeated third time. And it started to dawn on me and start to click in. And then I started to realize in the final or fourth time, the voice repeated again. Until today, I don't know what that voice was, um, but he said the same thing. And that's when I realized what Allah was trying to tell me, that I have a plan for you. Don't worry about women or marriage or love or anything like that. Just focus on yourself and your kids. And that's when I learned the art of self-care, self-respect, and self-love. Because I think that if I had those things, I wouldn't have gone to that depression or anything like that. And that's, I honestly believe that that was the night when I was born again. I feel as if though prior to that, I was just merely existing. And that night I was born and I started living with passion and purpose and, you know, just being intentional about everything I do, especially as it relates to being a father to my gems. And Alhamdulillah, once I took that, I realized the difference, the profound and drastic difference it made in my life and the growth, the positive changes that was happening in my life. And along that journey, there were two, I guess, tools, if you want to say, that were instrumental and continue to be instrumental in that journey of my growth. And that's the noble Quran and therapists. And that's the reason why I like to conversate with them or converse with them, because I've learned so much from them, the different perspectives, their insight, their wisdom, how they put pieces together to give me understanding and a big a picture of the bigger image, right? Or bigger picture. And although there are a lot of things I disagree with them and philosophically or theoretically, but overall, I think they have been instrumental in that process for me. And now, alhamdulillah, for the first time, honestly, I don't live an unmarried man's life. I live a single man's life. Happy to be single for the first time since 2016 because 
I respect myself and I honor myself. And I don't believe that my life would be any more value, valuable because I add a woman to my kitchen. So Alhamdulillah for that. And that's the reason. Um, so uh, with that in mind, let's go ahead and introduce our very patient guest. She's actually... Oh, I, I think today. Say that again. I, can I can I just add something to what your story? Like I I really appreciate um, you know your bravery and honesty and just sharing that with everybody because I'm sure that a lot of people can resonate with those same feelings and the the, the detaching from something yeah. someone that you really love is incredibly hard and you know um, I I can definitely relate to that as well as that just separating yourself from that and also aligning ourselves with Allah. It's incredibly hard to do that. We think we're doing it. We think we're doing it all the time until we actually go through something like this. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That's really yeah, great. Absolutely. Honestly, I was on the verge of leaving Islam, to be honest with you. Not last year, but just the whole divorce and everything. Um, it's sad that when your parents can disown you just because you want to remove yourself from a toxic situation. And I was going through this, I guess, rebellious stage or phase in my life where I was angry at Allah himself, at the ulama, the scholars, my mom, everyone, and I almost left Islam. But Quran spoke to me and said, uh-uh, come back, read this verse, read this surah, see what Allah is saying, not what anybody, how they're interpreting it, right? So alhamdulillah for the growth. So anyway, our guest is not actually a new guest, just coming back for the second time. Alhamdulillah, we are Grateful for that opportunity. And uh, she is a licensed uh, professional counselor and has a master's degree in mental health counseling. She's also the founder of Sakun Health and Rahman Designs. Um, gentle ladies and gentlemen, please join me in welcoming back Sister Anika Moshe. Sister Anika, it's great and honor and a pleasure all to have you back on the show. Welcome. Thank you for having me again. Absolutely. So before we get started, I have a riddle for you. Are you ready? Last time you really threw me off. So <laughs> hopefully I'll do the same this time. Let's see. So in a single house story, right? Everything is yellow. We're talking about the furniture, the ceiling, the carpet, the walls, the silverware, everything. Question is, what color is the stairs? But you mentioned that you mentioned that it's a single story, right? Yeah. So there wouldn't be any stairs. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> that was an easy one. I should, next time, I'll give you a hard one. Definitely. Okay, I'll be ready. Inshallah. All right. So, like I said, I don't know what we're going to title this episode yet, but we are talking about parents, um, how to deal with difficult parents or difficult, uh, not even maybe difficult parents, but parents who come from a different time, different era, different generation than us. And, you know, sometimes there's that cultural gap. So that's what we're addressing today, inshallah. So what happens is often I hear people having difficulties surrounding the subject of parents, right? <clears throat> Many people have been abused by their parents and often come to religious leaders, the ulama that we were speaking about earlier, for advice, and oftentimes the answer is always the same. You know, the famous chapter of the Holy Quran, chapter 17, verse 23, Allah says, don't say off to your parents, you know, 
and that we need to obey them at any cost, no matter what. Um, to illustrate this even further, <laughs> from my country, Somalia, we have a famous, very famous proverb that says, and I'm saying in Somali, um, it says, which loosely translates to whether the parents are wrong or right, they are always right. <laughs> so that's the culture that I come from. That's what they're saying, is that they can never do wrong. Never be wrong, exactly. So, Anika, given all of this, what is your take on the issue on this issue in your professional opinion? Oh my gosh. So it's a it's a really sensitive subject. So the subject yeah. of difficult parents, especially talking about it from the Islamic perspective. Um, I'm just gonna share myself openly and say that I really don't think that our scholars have done justice to the subject. That we talk about it a certain way. And you know, a lot of these religious leaders are not trained in behavioral sciences, okay? And so when they talk about the problem, they're talking about the problem from within their own perspective, sometimes their own cultural biases. And what I see happening, I see, I see the what shouldn't be happening so many times is that they offer unsolicited advice or they're issuing fiqh rulings to people when they're just unqualified or they don't understand these matters deeply. Um, so you have people who are like, you know, Quran Hafiz, or maybe they, you know, studied one subject in the religion, and then they go out and call themselves marriage counselors, okay, unfortunately. And what happens when a person does that is that they haven't really understood the depth of what that means. It takes, it takes a, like, I, I spent two, two, three years to study what I studied, you know, and I am now relearning my religion again as well. And so it takes years and years of study to kind of understand the intricacies of these relationships. Yeah. And also, I believe that even to take a look at these sacred texts, we have to learn enough about ourselves so that you can kind of take off all of those filters. You know, if you're wearing the filter of culture or your, the filter of your own personal past experiences, you're going to read into the religion something that might not be there. Okay. And then other times you have problems that are not even related to the religion directly or at all. And are more related to that person's upbringing or their own experiences or, you know, their beliefs or values. Um, or even it might be how they, how they interpret certain words, for example, like the word obedience. And many of us look at these words and these terms from those filters. Okay. Um, sometimes we might look at that, that own thing from our own personal selfish desires. And so it's very important to kind of take a step back and see well, where is this person coming from? When we read into the religion something that's not there, or when we kind of opportunistically cut paste and take certain parts while ignoring the rest, um, what we're doing is that we want to actually make things easy for ourselves. And we want to fit in, we want to take and fit it into what's familiar for us. And we take in what we think it should be like, okay? Whereas Islam didn't come to, you know, provide convenience to you. Islam came so that you could you know, filter through, take away the parts that, that are not aligned with the truth and then replace it with, with that, that meaningful truth, okay? So when we're talking about the subject of difficult parents, I understand how difficult it is to talk about it, you know? Um, yeah. You can talk about it from the spiritual perspective, but honestly, this is a family issue. This is an issue related to personal uh, and past traumas. 
So instead of talking about it at the surface, uh, I think today what we're going to do is talk about it and, and look at some of the factors that kind of go into it. Why it's been difficult to talk about it in the first place, okay? So some of the subjects, you know, um, are like culture or even, you know, person's past abuse or trauma, actionistic thoughts, processes, and just how all of these things come in to processing and approaching certain situations. So it, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah, it is. I love the way you said, um, I'm relearning my religion all over again. I feel the same way. Um, when you look at the Quran through a different lens, it's much more profound and has a deeper meaning. It, it really speaks to you personally more than what you just read it and take from what the ulama say. But um, <clears throat> we talk about culture, right? That's the first thing I want to address today. Let's talk about that. Um, like you said, many of us combine culture with Islam, and it's very, very difficult to separate the two, right? Near, almost near impossible. So um, how can we learn to separate the two? So what we know is that you can never really separate culture from Islam, you know, because Islam actually um, embraces culture, you know, parts of culture, okay? And Islam even allows us to express ourselves with the different, with those different flavors, you know? So for example, the Indians will practice their religion differently versus the Arabs, versus the Africans, you know? And there's some room to be flexible, okay? A religion is not black and white. Um, but uh, the fuqaha, which are you know scholars of jurisprudence in our religion, they factor in the cultural context when they're issuing their rulings, you know? And oftentimes, a lot of these rulings given to us in this religion are very specific to the culture, to the time, to the place, etc. So what I see people doing wrong is they take that ruling and they apply it everywhere, brush stroke everywhere, okay? But our, our authentic religion is flexible enough because our religion is timeless and universal, okay? Whereas culture is very specific to each time and place. You're going to have macro cultures, okay, which is like nationality, race, etc. Then you have microcultures, for example, the culture of women, culture of men, culture of artists and painters, etc. Okay, but the problem happens. One of the problems happens when you know one person says, "Well, you know what? My culture is better than yours. So follow my way. It's better than. It's greater than." And so when this happens, you have a cultural gap. And what I see most often between parents and children is that. Both those parents and children have different ideas, different beliefs and values about how to approach certain situations and how to, you know, solve the same problem. And so what we're all struggling with is how to express ourselves, our cultural, you know, multicultural selves, while at the same time maintaining those Islamic values and respecting differences. Today, as of 2021, we're living in very interesting times, very exciting times as well. We're living in a time where our culture in general, you know, around the world, it's changing. We're, we're kind of recognizing some of the old traditional rules, you could say, and some of the deeply rooted issues that have been there for generations. So, for example, like racism, you know, sexism, where we're, we're learning about the wealth gap, you know, tribalism, casteism, casteism, etc. And the list goes on. And many of us are are kind of put in this position where we're kind of expected to change, you know, but a lot of us are stuck. We're afraid. 
We're afraid of the unknown. We're afraid of what's not familiar. We're afraid of changing and what that might mean for our, ourselves. So especially when it comes to our parents, it's very hard for them to, to make these shifts. You know, for a lot of them, they came to this country. If if that's already a big enough change. So to expect them to have all these other change, changes, like sometimes they might feel as if they're out of control. Um, one example, for I, I come across this one a lot, and I'm sure you guys all know this one, is the idea of respect. So the you know my own parents' version of respect was, and I come from an Indian background, is that a respect is something that you give to an elder or a person who has higher status or authority than you. Okay. Whereas in my generation and my time living here in America, is that you know we believe that respect is mutual. You know, you offer it to any person regardless of status. That doesn't mean that you you put them on a pedestal. You know, you you treat them with equal dignity. You know, they they are human beings and have inherent value. Um, but at the same time, we believe that when a person acts in you know inappropriate ways, you're allowed to speak out against them, even if the, they are people of authority. So, um, and then there's also differences between uh, individualistic and collectivistic cultures. So, a collectivistic culture is one where they focus more on the entire group's needs. So these are the cultures who will talk about family honor or shame or status. Okay. And then you have individualistic cultures, which is the Western American cultures. <clears throat> and so these cultures are more about like, you know, my personal needs matter. Even if like that doesn't fit in with society, well, I need to express myself, be myself. Whereas these guys, collectivistic cultures are more like, you know what, as long as we're kind of keeping you know, things uh, in order out here, it doesn't matter if your physical or mental health is disrupted because we're maintaining this this thing. So um, it, I, I personally believe that Islam takes a hybrid approach where we kind of focus on both, you know, but unfortunately we don't see that balance very often. Absolutely, absolutely. So we're often taught to, um, as you said, you know, obey our parents. But what happens when the parents themselves are narcissistic, right? Um, what happens instead of um, being protected and provided like they should? We feel um, like they're causing harm to us, that they're not fulfilling their obligations. Yeah, so then it, there's a lot that goes into that question, you know. I do feel, again, this is a the main question that our scholars fail to address. You know, they look at it from within their spiritual perspective and they have every right to do that, but they focus on the idea of obedience itself. Whereas what I see is that maybe it's not so much about the Islamic principle or idea of obedience. Maybe it, what's underneath it is the kind of meaning that that person takes from that word or like, what that really looks like in action. Maybe it's not obedience, maybe it's abuse, okay? So instead of actually, you know, addressing just that aspect of obedience, sometimes I ask my clients questions. Like, for example, does obedience mean sacrificing my physical or mental health? Especially when you feel that you've grown up, you know, in an environment where there was abuse and trauma, okay? Physical or sexual or severe emotional harm. Does obedience mean that you have to submit yourself to that physical harm 
you know, if you don't do as they say. So oftentimes parents are so focused on obedience that they neglect their own responsibilities as parents to meet those children's physical, emotional, spiritual needs, okay? And they neglect to nurture them, to raise them, um, and giving them that space to kind of collectively grow. And they use obedience as kind of like a harsh thing, like 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 a boundary. Uh, it, sometimes it's used as a weapon, okay? And, and like, it's like, you must do this or else, okay? And again, as a therapist, I'm going to have to say that sometimes we do that because we want to cover up our own helplessness and our own dependence. You know, I, I kind of flip the script around and like, what is it that you're needing here? Why is it? Why is it done in that way? So some parents might even turn to violence um, to train their children to become, I hate to say it, but they're personal servants, okay? Or maybe they see that their children are an extension of themselves, okay? So they think that obedience is their God-given right and so that they have, they have the right to impose their wants and their desires and expect their children to fulfill them, okay? We know what Islam says about desires. And, and they might even use verbal or physical force to train this person to be like a dutiful slave. So it, it's kind of like, you know, mold them while they're young. You know, do this training at the younger, so while they're young, so that when they're older, it doesn't become so hard when we're older, okay? And I, I feel like these these parents, by using this like punishment system, they might feel like they're acting, you know, like God, where they take it upon themselves to kind of declare their wrath upon their children under God's name. Okay. And I think that's that's very despicable and it's very dangerous. Okay. Even our Prophet who suffered worse injustices, he did not need to be, you know, God's religious enforcer. He did not need to enter people's home and physically, you know, change or fix them. Okay. He understood that it's actually Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who is the one who guides. He is the one who turns hearts. So if anyone had the right to, you know, use physical punishment, it would have been them. So who are you to think that you're better? And and part of this is all just that cultural training process that I believe is based out of fear and dependence. Is that they believe that they are helpless and dependent. And so out of that fear, they go to control their children and instead of admitting that they're vulnerable and that they're dependent instead they they use their shows of power to get what they want and along their way they, they even teach their children they're like you know what this is how you get your needs met is that you force people into submission so guess what the cycle continues over the generations so sometimes parents don't use uh violence as a form of abuse they use different forms of abuse right um like we mentioned, guilt tripping, uh, shaming, and all these things. And sometimes they even use Quranic verses to justify those actions. How do you, um, or what do you take on that? Yeah, um, some some parents they don't use violence at all, and they're like, "Oh, I'm such a good parent because I didn't lay my hand because my parents did that, and I'm so much better." But these children haven't kind of grown out of this idea of power and control, of using power and control. So, okay, and then there's levels of that. Some some parents will not use physical force, but they'll use verbal force. They'll use the criticism, devaluing, and it's, and it's well known. They don't shy away from it. Then you have the others who are still using power and control, 
they're kind of slipping it underneath, you know? On the outside, they're like smiling and pleasant, but you know, you felt that. They're really, they got their thing going on. They're controlling, you know? And if you don't do it, you will feel that way. So so a lot of parents don't give up on that. We call this emotional abuse. And and what a, the example I have of emotional abuse is that imagine that you were like on a cliff, okay? And someone's just pushing you towards the cliff. And they're like pushing, pushing, pushing. And you're like, okay, you know what? There's no danger yet. Just, just like, let me continue. Okay, maybe I'll think of a plan later, but it's not that bad yet, okay? And you're going back, back, back. And maybe you feel like you can't, okay? But this person is just pushing you. And then when you get to the edge of the cliff, you're like, oh crap, I better do something or else I'm going to fall off this cliff. And so they, they're, they're like, they push that person back. And at that moment, the person who's pushing is like, how dare you? See how bad you are? They play <laughs> the, self, the low self-esteem or the anxiety of that person. And they're like, see, see, this is why, you know, I was pushing you because look how bad you are. Okay. And oftentimes we feel like we don't have a position besides falling off the cliff, you know, and that's the worst thing because we lose a lot of ourselves by doing that. And with children, children are in a naturally vulnerable position. They're still learning about who they are and, you know, what they can and can't do. So when parents use this method of pushing their boundaries so much, and it might be a very simple example, like, you know, it might be that we tell our children, like, you know, finish eating. No, you're not done. You're still hungry. You still have space, right? There's totally telling our children that you're not allowed to say no. You're not allowed to know your own body. You know, I know better than you, okay? Um, and children feel like, well, maybe I don't know myself. Maybe I am dependent on my parents. And I really need my parents' approval to tell me that I'm good enough, that I'm you know, who I am. And so they're so, they're, they're kind of trained from a very young age to be dependent on that parent. So sometimes that is the strategy. That is the underlying motive or the goal, which is that if you keep children hungry for approval, if you keep them hungry and striving in that way, then that way parents can come out on top each time and they can have their needs met. Okay. So we're kind of unmasking things here. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Yeah. I absolutely love that cliff analogy. I have a question for you though. Do you think um parents are doing this? intentionally to like they're intentional about their abuse and manipulation towards their children or is it that is just what they've known all their lives it's it's sometimes it's conscious and and you know those people are you know deviously minded but then you have those people who are just doing this because that's what they've learned so imagine the scenario i said earlier is you have a person who's like yeah my parents use physical punishment i don't but they didn't learn that the parent was also using, you know, emotional violence as well. And so this person is kind of just that that's their model of how to do things, right? Their model of a parent was their own parent. So they end up doing all of the same things. Okay. And so now we're uncovering in the next generation, we're like, wait a second, that didn't work either. It's following the same patterns. Um, so yeah, getting that that child is kind of in this anxious hungry position where they're kind of searching for approval okay this is when this child becomes in that way where they're they're, they're seeking uh to please people they're kind of doing good things in order to get that feeling of i'm a good enough person so the way the parents 
unconsciously train them is it's kind of like a carrot on a stick. So it's like, you know, it's, you know, the carrot is kind of constantly moving ahead and you can never reach it, right? So even when the child does something awesome and accomplishes something, these are the parents that are kind of like, yay, good job, okay. Or they might not even say that. They're like, okay, at least you did something bad, <laughs> you know? <laughs> okay, and it, it's some of these parents are afraid that, well, what if I compliment my child? What if I raise them up? They're going to become arrogant. Or what if I tell them they're good enough and then they stop trying, okay? And a lot of times internally, there's so much fear inside this parent. And they're worried about what people will think, right? They're worried about what everyone around them is going to say. So they kind of keep this child in this position where they keep trying. And they think they're doing such a good job. They're encouraging their parents by doing this, okay? Um, I have personal experience in this, okay? So <laughs> that's why I'm very passionate about it. Um, I can hear your voice. <laughs> all right. So, like, and, and one like example I could leave you with regarding this is that we, because we come from authoritarian cultures or styles of parenting, is that a lot of times our families operate in that same way. They they operate like a monarchy, okay? We have a king and a queen. And then we are their subjects, okay? So what the parents are expecting at the end of the day is that you children are always going to be inferior, below us. And then as we get older and older and older, you know, you treat us with that, with that reverence, with that veneration, you know, because look, we've, we've done so much. And that's that's really difficult because you know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about arrogance in the Quran so much. I mean that was first sin out there. But then we make it okay for our parents to act that way. I would say that right next to Shirk you have you have arrogance, which is one of the most hated sins, right? And that's that's a reason for us to 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 disagree with our parents. So going back to that food thing you were talking about, like when we tell our kids. You're not supposed to know when you're full or whatever. You're only full when I tell you. I used to struggle with that because it takes me forever to cook. I'm not the greatest cook. So I would serve them and they wouldn't eat and they would just leave it. So for me, that was a learning moment for me to just study them, figure out what is actually the right amount of portion to serve them. Once I figured that out, now again, I keep going back to this because it's really what changed my life around, turned my life around, giving up control and power and just observing the people around you whom you love and watch what they like and what they don't like, what's the trigger points. And if you can avoid that, you'll have a peaceful life, I believe. Yeah, I love I love what you said. It's, um, you know, it, it's easy to, to control, right? It's easy to like just do this. Why? Oh, because I'm your mom, because I'm your dad. It's the easy way out. It's very convenient, you know? And we've learned that, okay, that easy way is is not really working, okay? Is that in the process, we're, we're kind of skipping all of these things, which is that everyone has feelings and emotions, okay? Now, it's not about, like, taking care of every single feeling and being them. That, that's the other extreme. But also taking into consideration that that person's a human being. You know, even we fail to see that our own children are different from us. We think quite literally they're an extension of us. So therefore, like I heard uh, one of my clients, she's like, 
well, I know how to deal with my daughter well because I'm a woman. And I'm like, well, have you ever considered that even though you both are women, you both are separate, you know? What if, you know, you might not know her in certain areas, you know? And she's like, well, I don't know my son well. I hand him off to my husband. I'm like, what if you might know your son more, you know? What about, like, what? we don't consider that. We just think that we know. Instead of really asking the other person, like, who are you? What is it that you need or want? And, and instead of taking that approach of getting to know them, really like understanding their world, building that trust and communication, right? We're just like control because we're lazy, okay? <laughs> and at the end of the day, we all want to be treated special, okay? So it's hard to undo the old ways. I, I admit it. It's hard. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you touched on caretaking, right? Um, the idea of, you know, we're supposed to take care of our parents, you know, especially as they age, right? But sometimes we struggle in the Muslim world, especially because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given such a lofty status to our parents that one of the verses that really sends shivers down my spine is when he says, lower the wing of humility for them, right? So when you consider all of those things and not losing sight of being respectful towards them and honoring them, where do we find that balance of taking care of them but at the same time, not taking our emotional toll on ourselves and our psyche, right? Not sacrificing our own needs to make mommy and daddy happy and taking care of them. Yeah, that, that's a really good question. And you said it right there. The key is balance. And, and the hard thing is trying to get there. Okay. So anytime you're, you know, like Islam says, you know, be the best to your parents, right? And some people take that really far. Okay. To the point where, they are the best to their parents, but they are the worst to their family, <laughs> you know? So they're like black and white in their lives. And that's not what Islam says. Islam's like middle path everywhere you go. Because that's what we found out is that when we are doing the best in anything, something's got to give, all right? For example, getting the best degree, all right? Or getting the best job. At some point, you're having to give something up in order to reach that best. You're having to sacrifice something, right? So what comes hand in hand with our, you know, culture is that, you know, you treat your parents best, but you're supposed to sacrifice your wife or your husband or your children, whatever. It's kind of understood. And those are the un those are the things that are not said, but they're expected, yeah. right? Unwritten rules, so to speak. Exactly, you know? Yeah. Um, unspoken rules, exactly. So in anything in life, and not just in the subject of parents, is that anytime you strive to be the best in everything, you know, humanly, you won't be able to do that because you're going to have to, like, you'll, you'll forget about the other aspects, right? But then again, there is no nothing wrong with, you know, helping and caretaking. There's nothing wrong with being good to your parents and striving to be better every day. Um, but we also want to kind of look out for the for the extremes okay so i'll always kind of give you this i'm not going to say this is what you should do is that you just watch out for the the two things is that you want to make sure number one not to burn yourself out okay where you are able to maintain your life in balance and meet your own needs as well as others needs okay but at the other hand you know you don't want to be caretaking so much 
that even if that person is arrogantly, you know, behaving with you or criticizing you, um, that you're enabling their bad behavior. Okay. So in this place, compassion doesn't take the place of justice. Does that make sense? Is that a lot of times we're like, you know, just forgive, forgive, forgive. But that forgive is not really forgive from here. It's dismissing because it keeps. Exactly. Yeah. Um, And by not saying something, by not like withdrawing and saying, hmm, I I didn't like it when you said that. When we don't do that, we actually tell that person. Absolutely. Oh, don't do that again to me. You know, push me even more. (laughs) That's what we're saying. Instead, We need to step back and say, hey, back up. That's not okay. Okay, or we can let them know that, hey, you know, I feel uh, overextended here. I can't do all of these things and I want to, I would like to, but I'm unable to, you know. And and then there you have some people who are like um, being dutiful and best to your parents. What that means to them is that you have to keep them happy all the time. You, know, you have to protect them from every negative feeling or every discomfort. It's kind of like that's a heavy responsibility, right? I mean, to me, it seems unrealistic because what you're yeah. saying, you know, what they're saying is that you have to kind of treat your parent like a like a newborn baby, you know. And, Pretty much, yeah. And you know, in in my culture, I don't know if it's in yours or in others, but there's this belief that you know, as people become older, they become like children again. Okay, that's the same. We yeah. believe the same. <laughs> In, in my own family and in my culture is that as they get older, they treat them like they're helpless and, and you know, um, frail. But the truth is, is that it's by treating them this way, the person starts acting that way. But if you empower that person, you know, then that person acts differently too. Okay. And, and by the way, science, you know, neuroscience has come in and, and kind of, you know, ruled that myth out. It says that you know, humans are resilient creatures and they are capable of change at any age. All right. It's we who tell people you, you're you done growing at 40 years. You don't change. Right. That, that's us that says that. But science is like, no, if you are willing to, you can change at any age. OK. And, and when we treat our parents, when we're like socialized to, to treat our parents like they're like fragile human beings. OK. What we actually end up doing is we incapacitate them even further, all right? So by overprotecting them, like putting bubble wrap around them and we're protecting every negative feeling and discomfort, what we're also doing is we're protecting them from growth, from learning how to be better human beings, okay? Unfortunately, some people do this to their children too. They kind of overprotect in a way where it prevents the child from exploring, learning, trying new things, and even making mistakes, okay? So, unfortunately, people who have these beliefs, uh, sometimes those parents do get physical illnesses. Sometimes they do, you know, have high blood pressure. And so it kind of reinforces this thought like, oh, see, 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 that's why I have to protect my parent. But, you know, what we've learned um, is that exposure therapy might be better. So slowly, slowly helping them to heal their own trauma, helping them to deal with those feelings, uncovering their own stuff. That's what's actually going to help them in the long run, instead of like, you know, covering things up and, and making things like, you know, peaceful. So um, I wanted to add that when it comes to the subject of caretaking, 
sometimes you will have, you know, elderly or incapacitated parents. So we want to factor that in. Um, it's important that we understand that, yes, those parents do need our help. They, they can't do it for themselves. And it is out of the, the best part of ourselves that we, we take care of them. But we also want to be mindful of not, um, not crossing our own boundaries, not extending ourselves so much that we're kind of playing so many different roles. Okay. So some, some of these, you know, children who have these parents, not only are they being the caretaker, they're also being, you know, their nurse or their cook or their therapist, you know? And so now they have to show up so many times with all these different hats on. And that leads to that person being feeling so overburdened, so exhausted, and that throws their own life out of balance, okay? And there's a, there's a psychological point to that, is that we really want to ask ourselves, why are we really doing that? Some of us justify all of that and say, well, I'm going to get ajr out of it. I'm going to, to be the best Muslim ever, inshallah, Allah will reward me in the afterlife, right? And we're so focused and we justify all that. But there's, a, there's an inner part of it that I want you all to kind of focus on is that do we, by doing that, by playing these roles, do we feel special by doing that? Do we feel important? Or do we like being needed by them? Do we enjoy being in control? over them okay sometimes a lot of that stuff is hidden and it takes a lot of bravery to to take that out to kind of admit that you know what sometimes i do go out of my way and 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 do more because i kind of like getting their approval or i kind of like feeling like i'm their hero you know <laughs> so we want to make sure that that intention is purely because we want to be good you know as much as we can without somehow selfishly giving, if that makes sense, okay? And, and it is important for those parents to lower their expectations. So on one hand, the child can keep that in mind, but at the same time, the parent needs to understand that they can't expect their child to give them like five-star treatments, you know, under the guise of religious obligation, right? And, and those children do need to reevaluate themselves and their capacity and and stop trying to base their personal worth on how well they can take care of their parents. Absolutely. Um, that's a very sensitive and delicate topic because even in my culture, the idea of like when your parents age, even if they're not meant uh, ill or anything like that, just to not be able to have them live with you, which is the normal expectation, right? It's so frowned upon, and even me, for me personally, it's something I would, if, if like my mother right now was like seven years of age and could barely walk or anything, and for me to even entertain the idea of putting her in a facility so somebody can take care of her while I'm here or any of her children, my other three siblings, is just, it's not something I would, that would ever cross my mind. but. I do understand where you're coming from and now listening to you, it, you can easily fall into that trap of wanting to be needed or you're doing it to be the hero or anything like that, as opposed to doing it for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala 
and to you know to gain his pleasure. And I mean, we read in the du'a, Rabbi Khfirli, uh No wait, how did that du'a go? Slip my mind. Right? So we're asking Allah to have mercy on our parents in the same way they showed mercy to us. So even from this verse, we can tell that to a degree, Allah is, you know, holding us accountable, if you will, to look after our parents, right? But not at the expense of ourselves. But I think it's, I don't think, like you said, it's a black and white area. I think it's very gray and it's very situational. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Also, like, what, what we tend to do is we're being merciful to others, but we, and we're expecting that if we're merciful, the other one person is merciful to us. You know, sometimes that person is not merciful to us. You know, they're unable. And we need to step in and, and, and give that mercy to ourselves. So that's where the whole self-care comes in. Is like, okay, if I keep doing this and expecting that I'm going to get some good job or pat on the back and I don't get it, like, is that going to affect my mental health when I go to my family or when I'm with my children? At that point, we need to scale it back and be like, look, I need to know my capacity. How much can I really give to my parents without straining myself? Absolutely, 100%. Because even when the Prophet, peace be upon him, was saying that the best Muslim or the best among you is the one who's best with family, and I'm the best in my family, that's the famous hadith. But when he was saying that, his parents were not alive. So he was referring to his children, his wives, you know, in that regard. So I, I definitely agree with you. It cannot be at the expense of putting stress on your spouse and or your children by looking after your parents. But it is a very delicate um, situation, though. So um, speaking about parents and them expecting a lot from us or you know, sometimes you have these parents who pretty much want their children to be robotic, right? They prevent them from making mistakes. They want to be the perfect children. And most of the time, at least from my observation, it's just about bragging rights. So I can tell the community members, oh, my daughter is so and so, or my son is this and that. So I guess my question is, can you tell us a little bit more how perfectionism shows up? and Muslim families, and what we can do to, if, if it's possible to prevent that. Yes, uh, a lot of people think perfectionism is just the normal way of doing things. So again, I'm going to go back to the culture and the what's, what's pre-programmed, okay? So I'd encourage you all to, to look into perfectionism. I know we don't have the time to talk about it here. But briefly, perfectionism is anytime we have those arbitrary or high or unrealistic rules or maybe there's too many rules and so we expect that person to be the best well you know not just the best but better than my friends you know enough so that makes me look special and important okay so perfectionism for a lot of people get getting mixed in with the culture and then the religion getting mixed with obedience in particular means that the child has to follow every single one of those rules and those rules might change or those rules might be really, really high or unrealistic, like I said. And so the child, if they skip one of the rules or they make a mistake, they feel like I'm, I'm such a sinner. I'm a bad Muslim because I didn't follow those rules. OK, that's when, you know, it's a problem not related to religion. OK, so let me give you guys uh, or some examples here. 
So for example, so you have a, um, an adult child, you know, who is caretaking for their parents. Sometimes that, you know, that, that child is giving the parent a certain amount of money. Okay. And the parent expects that child to give them a certain amount of money. And if you don't, then you're a bad child. All right. So this child feels like, well, in order to keep my parent happy and not make them feel uncomfortable or having negative feelings, I'm going to give them this much. Or maybe they, they allow their parents to dig in from their salary. Okay. Without setting any boundaries. Um, so, or it might even be like with the younger child is when it comes to choosing their profession, the parent might be like, well, because I was a doctor, you have to be a doctor. Because we had a standard of living a certain way, you got to have that standard of living. So they think obedience is all about micromanaging that person's life, okay? Um, another example is, again, these are from real people that I've talked to, is that imagine you have an adult daughter, okay, who comes to visit her parents or even a daughter-in-law. Okay. And when she comes home, the parent might expect her to cook a five course meal or might <laughs> cook in the cuisine that the parent prefers. And, you know, if she's neglecting her children, he might, or he or she might tell the, the daughter or daughter-in-law that, you know what, Allah's going to reward you. At least you're serving your parents. <laughs> but at the same time, she's, these parents are taking away the time that she could be spending with her children, building a bond and connection with them. And Instead of cooking just food to eat, the good enough expectation, food must be cooked according to a certain expectation, right? So it becomes hard. Now these these women come to me, they're like, how can I balance all these things? And I'm like, no, you can't balance perfection. <laughs> you know, you gotta, you gotta bring it to <laughs> Okay, and then my favorite example is is the parents who expect their children to become hafid, okay? This is, this is a big one. Um, we have people who expect their children to memorize the entire Quran without having them understanding who Allah is, why they are Muslims, what it even means to be a Muslim. They'll even tell their children, take a year off of school so they can memorize the Quran. And I personally think this is all about, uh, an ex uh, like you said, you know, bragging rights that you get somehow this status, and you know, that there is that. There is something in our religion where it says that on the day of judgment, that person, the parent whose child is a hafid gets to wear a crown, right? So the parents are thinking, wow, I love to be special and important. I'd love to wear that crown one day. So get those hafids in there, all right? But how, what the reality I see is that these children who are hafid feel, feel like they're really controlled and they live double lives, which their parents don't know about, okay? And ultimately, some of these people, um, they, they, they leave the religion, okay? So parents who are expecting perfection, the example I have for you guys, visual examples, is, it, you know, it's like having a trophy, all right? A trophy is really shiny on the outside, but it's empty on the inside. So a lot of these parents, they're kind of training their wow. children to be their trophies. Like, hey, look at, look at my accomplishments. All right, now go away. I don't need you. You know, so it, it's it's a really cutthroat, you know, and so the child thinks that, oh, my parent was best for me and wants me to, to become this awesome person <laughs> deep inside. Maybe I'm telling you some uncomfortable truth. I know. I know it's going to hurt, <laughs> but it's better said than unsaid because absolutely these parents, we, we, they need to, to, to reflect and look within, you know, 
Are they really worshipping Allah here? Or are these parents worshipping themselves? Okay. I know that's deep. I know that's deep. Um, are there rules based on what is truth? Or are they kind of covering them up and creating rules that make themselves look good? Okay. And I, I speak to these kids. Okay. Some of these kids are pushed to such limits to be perfect, again, spiritually perfect, whatever. And they're guilted and shamed and told that if they don't do this, then they're sinners. Okay, or if they don't wear the hijab right now, tomorrow, next day, then they are bad. They're shamed. And they're, it, it, it's like if they don't do as they say, these parents withdraw their love. In fact, they'll say, Allah doesn't love you. So that, like, it, it's really hard for a child to feel like, oh my gosh, the parents don't love me. Allah doesn't love me. I'm such a bad person. And so I'll be real. A lot of these kids, they leave their religion. Some of them spite them and leave the religion altogether. And they purposely break the rules of Islam in particular to kind of get back at these parents, you know? And I know how painful that must be for a parent to see your child do that. But it's not okay to use the religion in that way. Absolutely. I really loved what you said, the cliff analogy from earlier, and now the trophy analogy. Wow. Man. She said, are they worshipping Allah or are they worshipping themselves? These kind of like trophies are like idols. Okay, That's another analogy, right? So we set these things up and then we kind of worship the status, the power, the achievement, you know? Instead of really looking at the whole point of it all, the meaning behind it, you know? What are you doing all this? No, I do appreciate your honesty and openness. I'm I'm sure that was in a TV things to talk about this whole entire these topics or off topics of just parenting are very you know sensitive and very hard to talk about because the ego is also involved so you know anytime the ego is involved it's a very touchy touchy right but um i'm glad you mentioned that because i do believe there it's a, a topic that resonates with obviously you and i and with a lot of our listeners and viewers um but if the parents' perfectionist expectations are the problem, right? Then how can a person set boundaries with them? How can that be done in the best possible way? Yeah, again, the best possible way. I caught that, okay? so But we can try, all right? <laughs> but you're right. It is so hard to set boundaries in cultures. Um, again, I'll, something I'll share about myself is that when I set boundaries well, as a woman, in, in this type of a culture, they weren't having it at all. You know, to set a boundary as, you know, in my position meant that I was a bad daughter. I was a failure. I wasn't doing the right thing, right? And it sounds like for you too, you know, setting boundaries with your parents when it came to a toxic relationship, they weren't having it, okay? So it, sometimes it's anti-culture to set boundaries. And they'll say, oh, yeah, yeah, that's coming from that individualistic culture, setting boundaries. Now, I'm not saying setting walls up so that, you know, no one can come through. That That's called rigid boundaries, and that's not healthy either. But also not being so exposed and open, all right, so that people can take away from yourself, your soul, you know? Having some sense of security within yourself, feeling protected to a healthy sense, so that when things come in, all right, they don't go all the way in. So 
So in the culture, if a person sets a boundary, it's seen as disrespect or disobedience. You know, you're not allowed to say no. You're not allowed to say I I I disagree with you. Okay. <laughs> oh man. And, and when those children do set those boundaries, like I said, they get cut off physically or emotionally. Okay. Now, in the case of physical and sexual abuse, okay, that's that's a a situation of its own, or even severe emotional abuse. My take is that cutting off for some time is actually healthy. It's a must. All right. You know, even Ibrahim al-Islam was thrown into the fire by his father. He needs to stay away from that father. Okay. <laughs> Same thing with Musa al-Islam. If, if he didn't leave that place, those people would have killed him. He needed to take a little time. All right. Maybe a year or two years or, or maybe some more and go away. Take some time to strengthen yourself, to heal yourself. Okay. And then when you feel strong enough, you know, coming back. But if your situation is manageable, okay, and say the parent is critical or, you know, you know, mildly to moderately emotionally abusive, then there, there are different types of boundaries we can set, you know. Maybe you can be physically there, but emotionally and intellectually, you know, there's some separation between. Um, and the purpose of setting these boundaries is to protect yourself and to maintain yourself so that you don't suffer any internal damage. But setting a boundary doesn't mean that um, I'm closed to ideas and closed to feedback. No, you know, setting a boundary can look like, you know, I disagree with you, but what's your perspective? You know, let me hear you out. But at the end of the day, you know, you can't force me to do those things. I, I do want to do it this way. And maybe I might change my mind. Okay. So boundaries are not an on and off switch. You know, I we could talk about boundaries forever, but I see them as, as a little bit more complicated than that. But it is important at the end of the day to remember to have compassion at the end of the day for people, both parents and children. Is that Allah mentions in Surah Balad is that compassion, rahmah, is the best good thing that you can do. Okay? And being compassionate, um, we can be compassionate and understand that underneath it all, underneath our parents, you know, shoulds and telling us what to do, and even the children, is that we're, we're human beings. We have human needs, okay? And our parents in particular, they came from a time where their own needs and who they were were not being respected unless they were something special, okay? That's their reality. And they're playing out these patterns, okay? But we want to we want to be able to recognize that you know what, I, it's not my job to fix or change you necessarily. I can tell you that that's not helpful, but it may take them some time, to kind of get out of that. Having that compassion, like oh yeah, you've lived that way for so long, you know. But you know what? At the same time, I don't want to live that way, right? So that's just setting boundaries in a in a nice way, if that makes sense. But then compassion doesn't mean completely that you let that person bulldoze over you, all right? So exactly, a lot of people think that, well, being nice means I have to kind of do everything they say and agree with everything. No, you know, being kind and nice means that we still can protect ourselves and let them know our limits. So compassion, again, does not take the place of justice. Otherwise, it becomes enabling bad behavior. <laughs> Absolutely, 100%. So um, is there anything else you would like to share with us regarding the subject of 
difficult parents, I guess? Yes, there is actually. So enlighten us. Um, I feel like you know, you know, Allah gives the best of parables in the Quran. And I really like the example of you know Shajara Tayyiba. And I really love just the example of a tree because you know, just reflecting on Allah's signs, we can learn so much about how Allah's you know universe works. Okay. Maybe by looking at it, we can learn some things about ourselves. The example of the tree is really profound in our religion. And also, if we were to apply it to this situation, I really think it's something we can reflect on. So I want you all to imagine a young tree, you know, a little sapling. As the sapling is growing, we don't expect this little sapling to bear us fruits or shade, do we? You know, we don't. In fact, we continue to water this young tree. We are patient. We offer it the right nutrients, the right sun, the right shade. We prune it, and then we wait till it's ready. We're not jumping on it the moment that it bears its first fruit, and it's like, ah, finally, waiting, you know? We wait till the fruit is ripe, you know? We wait till there are many fruits. And at the same time, um, the, the, while the tree is growing into its like mature self, the tree is also learning how to take care of other you know animals. So the bees and the bugs and the small animals might be benefiting from this tree's shade or burrows or you know from the bark or whatever the leaves. Um, so the tree is kind of getting a little bit of practice in learning how to caretake for others. But the tree is also something that during the winter months. Tree sheds its leaves, okay? In other words, the tree is very selfish. And it's like, you know what? I'm going to preserve myself. I, I don't really have the capacity to, to deal with, take care of me and all of you. And what's expected here is that those animals are kind of expected to take care of themselves, you know, and, and hibernate or, you know, or migrate to another land or, you know, gather fruits and nuts and bury them. But they're expected to do that until the tree is fit to like give back again. And the, and the animals understand that. The animals understand that this is only until the tree can regain its strength. And the animals understand that, you know, we can't be fully dependent and reliant on this tree. We got to take care of some things by ourselves, you know. <laughs> so you, you can see where I'm headed with this. Yeah. You're on a roll today, mashallah. Huh? <laughs> you are on a roll today, mashallah. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm a I'm a thinker, and I think about these things a lot. So, um, so yeah, these 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 animals are taking care of themselves for a short time, and it's kind of done in such a calculated motion, right? Where these animals take care of themselves, and then the, they come back to the tree, and it's kind of this like undulating cycle. But unfortunately. Uh, I don't see this with the clients and families, all right? I see that the children from a very young age are not adequately nurtured. And what I mean by that is that their emotional needs in particular are not being met. A lot of them are fed. They have a roof over their head, but that's it, okay? And some some kids are not even given that. And they're expected to grow into independent, responsible, you know, human beings. And that's not how it works. These kids are kind of expected by that culture to sacrifice their own needs and wants 
for the sake of the parents' needs and wants. Or it might even be the parent who's relying on that child at a very young age, okay, so kind of leaning on the tree, all right, when the child's not developmentally ready, the, the tree's, you know, stump or, the, sorry, the trunk is not uh, strong enough. So the tree, like, grows in a, in a, you know, in a kind of bent way. And same thing for a child is that the child, when they have to do something that's inappropriate for their age, for example, learn how to be a parent when they're still a kid, you know, that child um, grows through uh, immature development. Okay. Sometimes they stay as children and they might act like children, even when they're adults. And this child is not really taught what their needs and wants are, most likely because their own parents didn't even know what their needs and wants are, you know. But these parents not recognizing this, either consciously or unconsciously, is that they expect that child to offer them, to provide and care for them, give them special treatment, offer them recognition through their achievements, you know, give them grandchildren, just to give, give, give. Okay. And they think, well, because I sacrificed myself, well, now I've clocked out. Now I get to sit on my throne and now you give to me. It's kind of like either give all, take all, you know, there's no like mutual satisfaction here. And then when, when the children don't satisfy what the parents want or need, then they get shamed. You're a bad child. You're disobedient. You're disrespectful. Okay. But the child is not purposely trying to disrespect or disobey their parents, maybe they are not ready. Maybe they don't know um, how much they can give or not. Maybe they're wanting something in return. Okay? Children are not allowed to take winter months off. Okay? That's what I see. They're not allowed to take care of themselves and say, you know what? I just can't. You know, there's a winter going on right now. They're not allowed to. Um, but yeah, the last thing I just wanted to say is that there is that aspect in our religion that's there for a purpose. There's wisdom in that. And we're not negating that. What we're saying is that in a healthy situation, when needs are mutually fulfilled and there's healthy trust and love between the family members and, and individuals are both connected and protected in those relationships, we feel a natural inclination towards treating people with value because we see why that's important, especially when it comes to our parents who have been giving to us when we were young, you know, but also giving with the proper measure. And it's easier also for us to take care of parents who admit their shortcomings, who are actively growing, who are, you know, showing a healthy level of dependence, you know, but it becomes such a strain. You know, when we have been deprived, when things are out of balance, you know, we struggle with the rules of our religion, but oftentimes it's how those rules were filtered through, through all these things like culture, you know, perfectionism, codependency, you know, and Islam isn't black and white. Islam understands all of this. So as a message to everyone, um, it's one of my missions and passion to do this uh, in my career is to help people to see Islam uh, raw and unfiltered. Take all of these filters off and see our religion for what it is. I love it. Um, I just want to add to that. <clears throat> Mine won't be as eloquent as hers. 
But I just want to remind everyone, children at the end of the day, they're also humans, right? And a lot of people think that when they get into trouble, it's because they're being rebellious or whatever. But what I've discovered in the 11 years I've been a dad is that they're actually not being a rebel or anything. They're just, the word I like to use is just exploring. They're just trying to figure out what, how to grow, what they can do, what their limits are, what their potentials are. But because it inconveniences us, we see that the trouble. So um, we'll leave it at that for now. Inshallah, I hope this conversation will enlighten all of us to become better parents, better Muslims, and really just better humans, period. Um, Anika, I want to thank you so much again for coming on the show and putting up with this crazy man. Um, <laughs> I appreciate your time and generosity, truly, truly. Um, but before we let you go, you already know how we close the show. So my last question, what is your message to humanity? I still have the same message as last time, is that try that at the end of the day, we are to obey the truth, okay? We should, we, we're not supposed to be shy, you know, from the truth. Allah is not shy from the truth. And, and that's why I keep coming back to that, is that, you know, it's our. It takes it takes a lifetime to kind of uncover what the truth is. Even today, you know, we're kind of uncovering a lot of really uncomfortable truths. You know, and to do that, we need to kind of self reflect very deeply. So sometimes the truth changes based on our perception and level of understanding. Even looking at the Quran, uh, the truth becomes more apparent after we've experienced certain things in our life. Right. So to me, keep searching for the truth you know, striving towards the truth and embody the truth. And remember, we obey the truth at the end of the day, not authority, not status. Okay. All right. Well, that's all for today and for a while. What I mean by that is um, <clears throat> I'll be taking a step uh, aside from this podcast and I'll be gone for a long minute. But don't worry, I won't disappear altogether. Uh, do subscribe to the YouTube channel. Because we'll upload videos, inshallah, that will serve to be inspirational, motivational, uplifting. And join the mailing list on the website at mindful-meeting.com for new blogs, inshallah. Until then, keep my voice and I in your du'as. And I hope you guys have a wonderful early or belated read Mubarak, depending on when episode will be released. And until then, I'm your host, King Abunsta, and so long. And please remember to treat each other with kindness. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to Mindful Meeting Podcast. If this episode has positively affected you in any way and inspired you to continue empowering and molding the complete family, then please continue to support us by spreading the word across your social media. We'd greatly appreciate it if you leave us a review. We value your feedback. And if you'd like to be a guest on the show or have a topic suggestion, visit our website at www.mindful-meeting.com. Oh, <laughs>